innovating together with Freudenberg performance materials. Dear audience, my name is Ludmila Der. I'm the Managing Director of Elite Experts Conferences and I would like to welcome you to the next episode of the Elite Experts Conferences podcast. Whether at live events or in the digital world, we bring together cool promising tech startups with exciting innovative global players and generate a platform where the world of sustainable technology meets. Get to know the different companies, but also the inspiring leader personalities behind these brand names. Our motto is towards a better and cleaner future through knowledge transfer and technology. Our guests today are John McNabb and Tobias Speet from Freudenberg Performance Materials. John McNabb is the CTO of Freudenberg Performance Materials. John, you have your technical background in electrical engineering with an MBA completed later in your career. It's maybe fair to say that you kind of grew up with Freudenberg starting 14 years ago as business segment manager through two general manager positions in different areas and now for almost four years as CTO. Tobias Speet is application engineer and Tobias, you take care of the technical sales. Your technical background is a physics degree with a focus on semiconductor physics. But the most exciting thing about your career, Tobias, is that almost two years ago you worked as CTO in a startup with the same topic, friction enhancement materials. That makes me curious. And we will certainly talk about it in the course of our conversation. And the company Freudenberg Performance Materials itself doesn't really need an introduction. You are a global player. You have 33 production sites in 14 countries and you are part of the Freudenberg Group. You are known in the building materials, automotive and energy sectors, but also in areas such as shoe manufacturing, healthcare and many, many more. So we can actually jump right into our discussion where we will focus primarily on innovations for the automotive market in the lightweight sector. And as always, we will also shed some light on the personalities behind the job titles. So let's get started. John, what is the future vision behind Freudenberg Performance Materials? Thank you, Ludmilla. Thank you for, for having us here. And very good question. The future vision for us is to be very customer oriented. At the end of the day, you have to have this customer orientation to develop new products. So that's critical for us. Along with, you know, as, as good corporate citizens, we want to protect the environment, reduce our CO2 emissions. So that's very important to us to, in a nutshell, uh, help make this a better world. Absolutely. That's the way to go. And Tobias, you supply very different markets from healthcare to building materials to automotive. Which specific areas do you cover in the automotive sector? Yeah, also a good question. Thank you very much, first of all, Ludmilla, for having us here today in this podcast. I'm really looking forward to that. Let me start with this. Uh, as Freudenberg Performance Materials, we're always trying to find the best solution for our customers, especially for the vehicles. If we talk about cost efficiencies, if we call, talk about climate friendly and also more comfortable for the end user at the end. So therefore, I mean, Freudenberg Performance Materials is already known in the automotive industry as one of the tier suppliers, especially for cargo screens, for carpet backends and headliner facings. But especially with regards to the new topic, like new mobility, e-mobility, hybrid electric vehicles, all this kind of things. Obviously, there's new topics that we have to tackle, that our customers have to tackle. So we also started to have a product line for those all those topics that we have here, such as EMI shielding, battery liquid absorbers, 
And uh, also for like hydrogen cars, for the fuel cells, we do have our gas diffusion layers. And one of the new things, one of the latest innovations that we have, um, this is also where I'm part at mainly, is our friction enhancing solution for bolted and press fitted connections. So our friction inserts. We will definitely come to that part. So this is like the main topic of this podcast as well. And now, John, it's actually no secret that when a company is one of the global players, as you are, it's already difficult per se to drive innovation, innovative thinking forward due to certain internal structures and the big size. But innovations are anchored in the core of your corporate philosophy. So as CTO, you are exactly the right person to answer this question. How do you encourage innovations? Yeah, that's a very good question. And fortunately, within Freudenberg, we have a culture of innovation after 180 years. So I have a very good starting point as CTO. Uh, we, we encourage entrepreneurship and innovation. It's part of our guiding principles. We invest uh, approximately 5% of our sales back into R&D, and we've invested heavily in pilot lines. So we can develop products uh, quickly with these pilot lines and sample and test and work with our customers. So it's, it's part of us, and it's been part of us for a long time. So it's my job to enforce it, keep it going, and really to promote this culture of trying something and making a product. And it's okay if it doesn't work. It's okay. We learn and we try it again, and we eventually will get there. But John, maybe also if I can add to that, it's also something, I mean, because this is kind of like a little bit to, to my history uh, with friction inserts and also with Freudenberg performance materials. And this is where I'm really, really glad that also Freudenberg performance materials is so open-minded also for technologies, for innovations that are not, not, not only developed within Freudenberg, but also outside of them. So, I mean, the history and John, you know it as well. I mean, I'm coming from a startup We, my, we actually developed this friction enhancing technology, those friction inserts. And at that time when we were struggling, especially with the automotive industry, because we were a really, really small uh, startup, we approached uh, Freudenberg Performance Materials and said like, hey, guys, how's it looking? Like, would you be interested? Uh, we have this, this really innovative technology. Have a look at it. We are, we're actually using one of your products as Part, one part of our uh, product. So uh, it would make sense to, to find those, like, um, what I'm going to say, it's just to work together or like whatever, how this ever can look like. So, and this is also, and this is where I'm here right now today, starting in this startup, um, presenting it to Freudenberg Performance Materials and really, really happy that they're also so open-minded for innovation from startups, from other companies. And they actually also are like, yeah, again, open-minded for things like that. Yeah, that's a great point to be as, and, and, and you're right, very open-minded with startups. So that, that's more and more a part of our thinking as uh, we have great ideas from the outside and maybe they need the support of a, of a company like Freudenberg to launch it, to scale it up. And that's where we can collaborate and, and partner. And we're very fortunate to have Tobias as part of our team with the developments that, that he did with his father. And now it's part of Freudenberg and we can scale it up together. So yeah, this that outside collaboration is more and more important. Yes, we're seeing that. From my point of view, I can only confirm this experience that the startups definitely need this kind of openness and this special mindset that you really help them to grow and to scale and so on and so on. So it's really a success story. So I want to know more later on, <laughs> definitely. 
But Tobias, can you also point out what's your point of view actually there uh, regarding innovation? It said that the surest way to have good ideas is to have many ideas. How do you live an atmosphere in practice where every failed attempt is celebrated so that the courage is strengthened to try something new again and again? Yeah, I mean, as, as John already also stated or mentioned, it is something, especially with innovations, it's like you, you, need to go, you need to go new ways, you need to go different ways from what there is already. And obviously, this is not always, well, you don't always get a good result at the end, but it's still a result at the end. So it's like, even if you struggle, even if you fail in brackets, It's not overly a fail. It's just like you, you gained knowledge about, okay, this is not how it works, but maybe it's a different way how you can actually do it. I mean, this was also kind of, uh, kind of like the situation that I had with, as John already said, with my father in this startup. I mean, I personally, I have more than 10 years of experience in friction-enhancing technologies, especially based on hard particle technologies, so using diamonds or things like that. And... During, already during my studies at the University of Applied Science in Munich, I, I was working for a startup that had a direct coding, friction-enhancing direct coding. So kind of like you apply using also like an a atmospheric pressure plasma, you apply the diamonds directly onto the surface of the customer parts, which has obviously at the very beginning, if you hear about it, like every engineer would be like, woohoo, that's great. I want that. It's, I just sent the pieces to them. I just sent to them my parts and it's, they're going to get coded. And then I get them back. I don't have any additional treatment in my facilities. I don't have another piece. I don't have to add something, something like this. But we also saw at a certain point of view that although the engineers were so hyped about it, that when it came down to costs, when it came down to cost efficiency, this was not only like the greatest solution, for example. There was a couple of points, there was a couple of things why it was not, um, I'm not going too much into detail about that right now, but with this knowledge and, and also the knowledge about friction enhancing technologies based on hard particle technologies in this world right now, because there are a couple, and also my father having more than 25 years of experience in friction enhancing technologies, also with the main focus on hard particle, so this is where we, we match again, <laughs> we saw a gap there from old, existing, pretty much well-known technology and this direct coding. We saw a gap there in the market, in the customer's needs. So we were brainstorming and we were trying to figure out, okay, what could be a possible solution to fill this gap? And after scouting a couple of technologies, about after testing a lot, a lot of like substrates as well, And this is where we come back to Freudenberg Performance Materials. We found one specific substrate, which was the only one that actually worked. And this was a product of the portfolio of, of Performance Materials. So, yeah. You have a super interesting background history, actually. And I mean, you started with one startup, right? So after the studying and then the founding of your own startup with your dad together. And then you bring this startup energy into a global player. How? You can benefit one from another. How did we benefit? I mean, Tobias and his father brought excellent technology uh, to Freudenberg when it was purchased in 2019. So they had the idea, they had the concepts, they had prototypes, they had talked to customers. And you know, from a Freudenberg side, they did a lot of just great technical development. 
And we were able to partner and scale it up and then and bring some of the scale on a global basis also that, that Freudenberg could offer. So it was just a, a great marriage, I would say, between the two. And uh, yeah, we want to grow it now going forward. And you know, Tobias brings the expertise that we need. We didn't have that type of expertise with this particular friction enhancement product and brought it in-house to Freudenberg. So it's been a, a great collaboration. And it, this will grow. This will grow into a business that will be a key component of our automotive business going forward. But it's also amazing that you give a lot of soil for this kind of energy. I mean, it's also entrepreneurial thinking and that you allow it to to push people this this technology forward and so on so because it's it's a completely different mindset when when you work let's say in a global player and you you always have been there you never let's say breath the air of a startup and then the completely opposite that you just know how startup work and then you had your own and then you enter in a global player so that it does not like the the giants coming against each other so that that it's really working so this is really amazing how you can really use it and encourage it and yeah and you said also this is something that you do also strategically so it's not just about this one particular startup it's also the future so definitely bravo for you there john now let's look at uh, 2020 but also 2021 and we find there enough evidence for well-known reasons like pandemic that this time is a challenge for everyone in the automotive sector. But are there also challenges or transformations that you perceive as chances? Where does the greatest potential lie? Yeah, I think in some ways this uh, pandemic has provided opportunities to uh, accelerate change. And in the automotive industry, there is uh, an acceleration with e-mobility and electric vehicles and fuel cells. So we feel we've seen uh, we've seen that change. Maybe it's a coincidence it was during uh, the pandemic times, or maybe it's it's a time for a change. So we see great potential in electric vehicles and what will be needed for lightweight products such as friction enhancements. We see great potential in the fuel cell uh, developments, and as that market develops with long haul trucks or cruise liners going more towards fuel cells. So. We see great potential in these two changes in the automotive market as we move away from the internal combustion engine. And that will take some time. We know that. But that's where we see the greatest potential. And Tobias, when we talk about opportunities, many innovative products are created because a good property of a product turns into a great feature of another product in a completely different area. Were there any examples like that during your time at Freudenberg Performance Materials? And if so, could you share an entertaining example? Yeah, so let me put it that way. I'm, I'm not, I'm, as John already mentioned, I also started working for Freudenberg Performance Materials end of 2019. So I'm just roughly like one and a half, a little bit more than one and a half years with Freudenberg Performance Materials. But I do know of a story from one of my colleagues, and it's about our one of our products, the um, automotive acoustic pads that actually started off as at the very, very beginning as one of our products from the apparel department. So our comfort temp material, the whole history about it was more or less like this. So at the very, very beginning, um, before we had this acoustic pads, the automotive acoustic pads, we did not have any sound absorbing product for the automotive industry, specifically for the automotive industry. But the sales colleagues apparently heard or like they were talking to the customers and were able to figure out 
that there is a need actually. I mean, obviously there has been other technologies in use, but with the state of the art technologies, the customer were not satisfied anymore. So something new had to come up. And so there's this one um, R&D project leader and she had a chat with one of, one of those sales managers and he, she saw that material on the desk of this very person. So this comfort temp. And she was like, well, hold on a minute. This, this thermal insulating wadding is not only like thermal insulating, but it also has 100% like acoustic properties to it. So obviously they tested, we tried, and um, we saw that those thermal insulating wadding also has this acoustic, those acoustic properties. And this was also kind of like the start of the development then of our acoustic pads. So if you think about it, so there was a material that went into apparel industry and now it's going, just because of another combination of different materials, it's going into the automotive industry, mainly for the acoustic uh, properties that it has. And it's great when people have the time and the potential to look outside of the box and to see this kind of opportunities and chances and can implement it right away, right? And let's go back to this startup story, John. So, and now let's talk about this whole lightweight materials and particularly about friction enhancement materials. How did you come into contact with this startup? How, how did it all began? Tell me this story from your point of view. Yeah, it was, we were very fortunate that uh, Tobias and his father are developing this product and they needed a base material that would work. And very fortunate that the Freudenberg base material worked the best uh, with the diamond coating. So we had a nice natural match. We were basically a supplier uh, to them. And then from there, the discussions came, well, how can we grow this product? How can we scale it up? Uh, what if we think global on this product? You know, how could we work together? And Freudenberg can bring the commercial side. We can bring some additional research and development expertise. How can we work together and scale up this product? So, I mean, that's how it came together. We were the supplier. And then as we worked together with Tobias and, and they were very open to work with us, we were able to purchase the technology. But most importantly, uh, Tobias came with it. I mean, we need this expertise and this, you know, you need the people to who know why things work to come along with the technology. So it was at the end, a, a perfect match. And have you ever thought about it uh, to to build a collaboration and to work together and just to help this startup to scale? Or how did you come also to this uh, buying decision actually in the end? Well, the technology was very promising. So you're absolutely right. It was also uh, an analysis. You know, does this technology have the uh, potential in the future to grow? And, and we believed in it. We believed with automotive companies wanting to lightweight their vehicles, that this can help with lightweighting the vehicles. And this friction enhancement product has a future. So our technical analysis and commercial analysis validated what Tobias and his father told us, that this product has a future. Yeah, and if I can add to this, as it was also for me and for my father, we're both physic, uh, physicists. We're, we all both have uh, studied physics and universities, but we don't have any experience with like building up a production, building up like the quality uh, control or like the whole quality management system behind it. So, and this was also, I mean, obviously we, we all agreed on the same topic and for us, it was really important also because we both know what we can do, what we can't do and the best fit for this product and the main goal for me and also for my father is to see, and also for Freudenberg Performance Materials, obviously, 
is to bring this product really into the market and like scale it up big time. And the only way how also my father and me saw it would be possible is if we actually transfer this technology to Freudenberg performance materials. This, I mean, a symbiosis, a collaboration, Freudenberg with the startup, I don't believe that would have worked the same way how it actually works right now. And it's we're in a really good, good way. So you are from both sides super satisfied for this uh, buying decision in the end. Totally. Starting totally. from a cost and or kind of collaboration or actually a supplier and buyer relationship actually in, in the beginning, right? And Tobias, can you briefly explain the basic concept of this innovation? So yeah, so the basic concept of the innovation is, so as we already mentioned a couple of times, we have a non-woven carrier that was one of the products from Freundberg Performance Materials that we coat on one side with diamonds. And the diamond grain size that we are actually able to apply onto the surface, they range from 10 micron to 35, which is kind of like what the market already knows also from other technologies, but we can even go way beyond those grain sizes. So we can do 55 grain size, we can 115. And we already showed that grain sizes even beyond 115 grain size are actually producible. Like we can do it, we can apply it. This obviously goes not so much into the automotive industry. This is more like also wind turbine industry, um, the shipbuilding industry. Things like that, where you also have like really, really thick coatings, for example, and therefore you would need a, a bigger grain size because those coatings are way too soft to significantly increase the friction coefficient. And I mean, at the end, if we take a look at our product, and especially if you if we have it in the bolted or press fitted joint, the idea is, or the function the function of our product is more or less as soon as you put the contact pressure on between the two parts, our diamonds penetrate through the non-woven carrier material into both surfaces of the parts that you want to connect. And therefore they create a micro interlock. So the benefit of our product more or less is then in this case that creating this micro interlock, so the, the whole grain size sticks in both uh, materials, it does not add any additional tolerances. I mean, what if I got our non-woven carrier material is 20 micron thin. So really, really thin, roughly 20 micron thin has an open porosity of yeah, 60 up to 65%. So also, therefore, it is able to compress itself down. And if you have surfaces with a surface roughness greater than 6 micron, it actually lays itself down into the, the valleys of the surface roughness. And again, therefore, you don't have any additional tolerance or the customer does not have any additional tolerance that he has to bear in mind for his application. So exactly the same measures like the, the part had before. Exactly. Technical customers, they also care about the features, but they want much more to know what are the particular benefits. So, John, could you um, please summarize what kind of particular benefits uh, do you see for the customers? Well, I think the benefits, you have this increased um, friction. So that that can help in powertrains for electromobility so it can it can help with this increased friction and and you don't need a lot more space so that's also it can fit into the current design but most importantly with this increased friction you can also um, lightweight your materials that you're using so we have examples of a front end carrier on a, uh, a vehicle that they were able to reduce the weight from 6.2 kilograms to 4.7. So 
you have a real life example of being able to you know, lightweight your design and you know the lighter the vehicle uh, you know the more efficient it can run so that's a real life benefit for our customers that's going to become increasingly important but that's already a lot it's like um, let's roughly say a third of it correct so. yeah very significant uh, significant reduction in weight and if you can do this a couple of times in your vehicle it really starts to add up absolutely yes and you mentioned just one part and i mean just imagine if you would apply it like everywhere no so and john could you give me also an example of a typical project or a typical application for friction enhancement materials Yeah, I think this uh, a typical one could be uh, something with a drive shaft and a powertrain. That would be a typical example. Uh, we have torsion, vibration, dampers, and an engine. That can also be an example for us. And also, we're looking at e-bikes. So, if you have an electric bike, that could be another type of product that needs uh, friction enhancement. So, very relative for the automotive market. Uh, very relative for e-bike market. And very versatile projects already in itself. No? So, and Tobias, I myself also come from this area of material science, and I'm familiar with some of the tests that are particularly required for the automotive area. And among other things, corrosion is a big topic there. I assume that you have done also the cyclic long-term corrosion tests. So could you please share with us the results? How does the corrosion behavior of my component change as soon as I have the friction enhancement material in use? Yeah, that, that, that's also a really good question that we get actually asked a lot, just because, as I stated before, with the grain sizes that we can apply onto our friction inserts, we can also now be used in chassis applications where you have e-coatings, where you have paintings, which those layers are really, really soft. And if you really, again, if you significantly want to increase the friction coefficient, that, that ain't going to work if you just stick in those coatings. So you have to penetrate through them. And obviously with penetrating, a lot of our customers are fearing, okay, well, if you penetrate my e-coding, does this uh, corrosion start to begin? And there was a couple of testings done already, salt spray tests and everything that show that we don't have any negative impact on the corrosion behavior of the parts. And there's a couple of reasons for that. So the first reason is our whole product is made out of inert materials. So we don't have any metals in it uh, that would be in this electrochemical list, whatever, that could actually start some kind of corrosion there. And the next thing is also the designing or the design that we cut for our customer. We never go to the outer edges. So if you think about a, a ring geometry, for example, with a center bolt, if we apply our friction insert onto this part, for example, we do cut the friction insert from the outer diameter roughly one up to two millimeters smaller. So we have to the outer area, we always have unpenetrated, undestroyed e-coating, for example, or painting or whatever there is. And therefore make sure that there's like nothing happening in there. So that, that those are like the, the two main points that how we actually take care also for our customers to make sure there's nothing happening with their with their corrosion or with the corrosion of their parts. But as you said, nothing's happening there. So, and you talk about salt spray test, for example. So does it mean also nothing goes in there? So it's not, it's not what, what you always have to bear in mind. Our friction insert is literally just for like increasing the friction coefficient between those two parts that you want to connect. It's not a seal. So we don't, if, so if you have two parts that you hold together, that you clamp together, 
and just the bare surfaces, and there was no liquids coming in beforehand. Using our friction insert material does not make it more susceptible for like any penetrating liquids. So that, that's, that's uh, I guess, I hope I was able to, uh, to answer your question. And now, John, in the previous reply, you gave us, um, let's say, more typical application of this innovation. What do the more unusual cases or project look like or can look like? Uh, yes, uh, Tobias mentioned uh, one, and this is wind turbines. So there's another market where you can imagine you need a lot of forces and torques as you move these large wind blades. So that's a great op market opportunity for us to expand into wind turbines and also high-speed trains. So, you know, we want to travel between point A and point B faster. Trains are a good way. And as we go to higher-speed trains, they also need more friction enhancement products for more torque and more power. So Those are two that are outside the automotive world and they're outside of the, the e-bike world that we are investigating and where we are very um, excited about those two markets. They, they bring us opportunities. Can we go a bit closer to this example of the wine turbines, let's say, and if you look at these huge parts and then you have this friction insertment materials, which are only on the, let's say, interface inserted there or integrated there. So... How big is the influence still on such a big part? The thing is with friction coefficients or with friction, yeah, with the friction coefficient just in general, it's always like um, depending on the whole system. So you have to test it, but then at the end, you always have to test it in the real application at the end and see if it still works the way it should work. One example that we have that we can also share is that obviously with the, I'm not quite sure if it was the onshore or the offshore wind turbines right now, But a general development in the wind turbine industry is that those air blades are getting longer. So the standard air blade right now, a wind turbine blade right now, is roughly about 65 meters, something like this. And they should be increased to 105 to um, increase also the efficiency of the wind turbines. Point here is that the customer wants to just make those wings longer, those blades longer, but he does not want to change the flange connection to the turbine head at the very top. So with those additional 40 meters, roughly, obviously you get way higher momentums, way higher torque in this flange connection. If you don't want to increase the, the size of the bolts, or if you don't want to increase the amount of the bolts there, but you want to keep it the same way as it is, That's going to be quite a tough challenge, especially with uh, if there's like heavy winds coming and everything, and so that the bolts at the end don't bend or worst case crack. So, and this is where first simulations showed with the friction coefficient that got tested. If this also applies in the in the end application, and it does, does it apply in this well, application? Well, the, the thing is, it's it's still currently an ongoing project, we say it, so there's no prototype being built up, or there was no prototype yet being built up. So right now, we are only based on this simulation, and the simulation shows it would work, definitely. It's just, yeah, this proof of concept in reality, this is still something that needs to be done. But unfortunately, today, we don't have any results for that. But at least the simulation shows uh, it's going the right way. <laughs> And now again to Tobias, how is the distribution of the particles on the surface? How well controllable is the production process? So again, with the production process of our friction insert being a based on a physical process that we use, 
basically what we do is we take a picture with a camera system before we apply our diamonds onto the surface and then we take another picture right after. And this is currently done 100% with all the sheets that we manufacture. And the difference in those two, or when you put those two pictures above each other and you compare them to each other, the difference then shows us how much of the surface of the uncoated sheet is now covered with diamonds. So if we talk about, for example, a 10% surface coverage, then we mean 10% of the, the whole sheet surface is covered with diamonds. So, and this is what we do 100% right now. And the good thing is also, maybe just to add that as well, because we're using a physical process to do it, it's really well controllable with those surface coverages that you can get out of it. So if we're talking 10%, we're talking a really low deviation of plus minus 2%. This is totally new to the market, but opens up a lot of opportunities, especially using our friction insert already in the pre-development phase as a design element, and therefore get a lot of like benefits that John already mentioned with higher power densities of uh, certain parts and um, everything because also you get a more reliable high friction coefficient and therefore you can calculate with the higher friction coefficient. Mm -hmm. Perfect conditions actually. Yeah. And John, we already mentioned in one reply, actually we covered this, uh, you made already um, a real life example of this technology, what, what kind of effect it has on lightweight applications. Could you give more real life examples and some numbers? So do you have a little bit more there or at least anything you could mention without uh, breaking any kind of confidentiality rules. Yeah, I, th I think, yeah, the one example with the 30% reduction in weight, that, that's typical. That can be done um, in, in many different designs. So it's really a, a very good light weighting program to use our friction inserts and remove a, a heavier part. So also in, in um, we have an example in a racing car, for example, if we have a a shaft to shaft connection and you you need speed and a racing car would need speed uh, you're able to use a friction insert uh, when you connect the two shafts to get more speed so that's also another example um, if you have a shaft to shaft connection with our friction inserts that can give you more power and more speed so i think that um, yeah the designers as they get used to our product they can lightweight their vehicles and get more torque and more power for if they need more speed Uh, that's another uh, opportunity for them. When we talk about racing cars, then it means always low volume projects usually. So it means also you are also open for this kind of low volume projects. So you could also help racing teams to, uh, let's say, in enable a better performance. So yes. And, and some of these low volume opportunities, you learn a lot. So you, you kind of can test the outer limits of your product, which is important to know where are the limits and how far can it go. So yes, we, we encourage these low volume products and, and projects because we can learn a lot. But still, when I say, let's say when we go in a um, serious cars, so then you have uh, high volume products, so you would be able to scale as fast as possible or as fast as it's needed, right? Yes, we're able to scale up with our technology, which is flexible. We can scale up or down depending upon the needs of our customers. So we can do high volume production. We can do a low volume production that's specialized. We can do both. Perfect. Yeah, perfect as a global player, right? So, I mean, if somebody can scale, then it's you. And Tobias, what has been the biggest technical challenge of a customer that you have been able to solve with this product? 
Well, let, let me put it that way. There is those, I mean, currently what we do have, we have two kinds of, of projects. I mean, the one that I already kind of like mentioned with like friction insert being used as a design element already in pre-development phase, which is something that we also want to push even more now with our customers. But what we also can do and what we also have a lot is those so-called, what we call emergency cases. So a customer that has, that's like, shortly before his uh, SOP of his vehicle or whatever. And in the, some of the last testing, something appears, a problem comes up where two parts starting to slip that should not slip. I mean, therefore, I mean, every technical or every project has its own challenges. I mean, one example that I might be able to give is we had one project with a high-class SUV where the wheel carrier in a certain testing situation to there was three bolts keeping the wheel carrier to the chassis or to the axis and the problem was when the customer or in this very test if you drove through a pothole that has a certain depth and you also had a certain speed two of those three bolts were actually cracking so the whole connection was just intact still working with only one bolt and the problem is you didn't like the customer at the end or like in this way, the, the test driver, they didn't recognize it. They didn't see it, but just because um, not like the worst case, the, the, the tire didn't fly off <laughs> and or you get any kind of like vibrations in your steering wheel. There was nothing happening. So you didn't know that this was happening down there. And if you think about a situation here in Germany where you drive onto the highway and you drive into the acceleration lane, there's a pothole. So you, this situation, what I just described, is happening. And then, obviously, because no speed limits in Germany, you go into the very left lane, you drive 200 kilometers an hour, not knowing that your whole life depends on this one bolt. That's kind of scary. And so we were able to solve this problem together with the customer. We were able to uh, support those bolts with a higher friction coefficient that those uh, tests were able to be done like over and over and over and over again without anything happening. And another challenge then was for us because this had to be implemented, the solution, into two production sites. One was in Latin America, the other one was in Asia. So it's also like this kind of thing that you had then. So it's it was a technical problem. It was a technical challenge on the one side, but it was also then like an implementation challenge on the other side because you had to work on two different continents kind of thing. Yeah, but this is... Typical, well, not a typical setup, but this is kind of like a project that we have or that we see every now and then, especially with those emergency cases. Yeah, different challenges, different solutions, right? So, but okay, as you said, also not, not just on the technical side. Yeah. And uh, John, because this application is so new, are there also ideal collaboration partners for you right now that would benefit from this innovation, but where no collaboration have been formed yet because it's just so new? Yeah, I'd say, you know, for now, we're probably solving problems right now as they come along. So it's a new product. It's still new. And we're, we're solving whether it's an OEM problem or a tier one, tier two problem. It's coming up and we're saying, hey, we've got a solution and we're introducing this product. I would say that ideally we will uh, have OEM projects and tier one or tier two projects on a, on a bigger scale going forward. So that would be a a target group for us to work with. And, and right now we're, we're solving problems, I guess, which is also a good way to get your foot in the door. 
get the designers to, to learn about your project, and they're very appreciative. I mean, we've solved a problem, so what better way to start? But long-term, we want the OEMs and the Tier 1, Tier 2 to, to be our partners in this and to have some longer-term uh, design projects uh, going forward. It's a good way to do this. I mean, like serving and solving problems and so on. So this is a good start, definitely. And you can also learn from each other. As you also said, like that you see also racing car developers as collaboration partners, kind of, right? So in, in the previous reply, so and that you learn also from each other, definitely. Yeah. Tobias, do your friction inserts offer other functions than friction enhancement and especially with regard to immobility? Obviously, what we're trying to do or what we always do with at Freudenberg Performance Materials is what John already stated is we always try to innovate. We always try to push the limits even further. Also for our friction insert, obviously right now it's just, it can just be used for higher friction coefficients, but we're actually trying to add other functionalities to our product as well. Not able to disclose any more specifics uh, right now, but also for those, we keep developing them. We're also, also what John just said, we're trying to find collaboration partners to finalize those prototypes that we have already. And then therefore, but also get a better understanding of the market's needs. So what do they actually need? What do we need to actually achieve? And therefore, yeah, we, we do use or we do need some collaboration partners for that. And we're totally open for any kind of collaboration for that right now, especially if it's going into like a design element for a later application then. So it's an absolutely customer-oriented approach. Actually, like you mentioned in the very beginning, as I asked the very first question to John, and he said, okay, customer orientation and so on. So that, this is like the vision of uh, Freudenberg. And now we are making the transition from technical and strategic topics to leadership and self-development. After all, we want to get to know our guests also as individuals. So John, for you, the very first question in this regard in the artistic field, making something new and creativity always go hand in hand. How is it here in these technical topics? How important is creativity in the technical areas? Oh, it's a great question. It, very, very important, this, this creativity and the ability to see where is this product going. For us, I'll use the example of in fuel cells, our gas diffusion layer product. We've been working on this for over 20 years, and, and the product today is not the product from 20 years ago. We had to anticipate where is this going to go as people want more compact systems, thinner materials. So we had to design our processes to be flexible for the future. So you need this creativity, and I would call it to be able to anticipate where your customers want to go with this product. And, and that's what uh, we try to promote actively within Freudenberg. Be creative. Take a chance. Okay. I mean, we take calculated risk and use our pilot lines to take chances and develop materials that may or may not be successful. So we promote that creativity. But at the end of the day, we're trying to anticipate where our customers are going and what they will need, whether it's five years from now, even 10 years from now and start those developments early so we can get something in their hands to say, hey, what about this? It may be too early, but we'll wait. We can be patient. And with, with our gas diffusion layer product, we waited many years for this market to turn, but now we're ready. So seeing the trends before they become trends, actually. Correct. And it's very carefully listening to, you know, when they say, maybe it's just one sentence, boy, it'd be really nice to have this. And hey, 
that's the future right there potentially. And, and let's make a note of that. And what can we do to support them? And it's, it's not today's project, but it's, it's how can we align our processes for the future to be able to support those customers. So it means in the end of the day, listen to the pain points of the current times, but also to the vision of the future of the customer. So Absolutely. And Tobias, when do you have your greatest ideas? Can you artificially induce the state of perfect idea generation? Is that possible? <laughs> um, greatest ideas. Uh, when I'm sitting outside in my garden under the apple tree and wait for an apple to drop onto my head. Um, <laughs> no, just kidding. For real now. The, the best, I guess the best, what I can say here, there is no special times. There's no special locations or anything for me. It's more like that I walk through this world with like an open mindset, open eyes, just to see gaps, uh, just to see challenges, to see experience also some kind of problems that there are, and then just come up with ideas. How can you close this gap? How, you can, how can you overcome this challenge and how can you solve this problem? And this is then, it doesn't always need to be like a complete new um, innovation out of, like, out of scratch or from scratch. It can also be something like you just combine different state-of-the-art technologies in a complete new way that haven't, uh, haven't been com uh, connected or any kind of like, what I want to say, um, you haven't been connected in any way and therefore create a new product, a new result, a new problem solver. Actually, now a question to both of you regarding that. Does it need to be at the beginning a technical solution which you see this could be implemented or... Does it need also to be an economic solution? So does it need to have business behind that at the beginning? Or you would say, no, just try out if it works and then let's see how we can make money with that. Yeah, I can, I can start. You, you need a product that works. So at the end of the day, you've got to start with something that works for the customer. And if it's a prototype, it's probably maybe too expensive or not efficient enough. So get something that works. And then see, can we optimize it? Can we make it profitable? And so our customers also can make money too. So uh, yeah, the first step is you've got to get a product that works. Then let's see, can we optimize it, make it profitable, make a good business case out of it? And when the two come together, like friction enhancements, we got a winner. Absolutely. Sounds like this, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, for me personally, I mean, I, I can't really add anything to what John just said. It's the very same thing. Um, yeah, it, it, obviously, it needs to solve a problem first. It needs to be technical at the very beginning. And then in the aftermath, you can see if this is also something you can actually commercialize or not. Absolutely. There's nothing to add. Yeah. John, whether people feel comfortable and realize their greatest potential has a lot to do with the com company culture and leadership style. Please describe the leadership style you have now and the one you had at the beginning of your career? <laughs> oh, good question. I'd say at the beginning of my career, and maybe anybody's, you're, you're kind of worried about yourself. Let's be honest. You want to you know, establish yourself. You need to uh, learn, have some success, and, you, and you're probably more focused on yourself. But uh, today, uh, my leadership style is to try to support the, the development of people around me. I mean, you have to have good succession for the future. You have to have good leadership and to give feedback and support to the, the leaders around me. And it could be, you know, hey, you're, you're great at creativity, but you have some difficulty on execution or 
you know, you, you need to collaborate more with your colleagues, whatever it is to try to help that person recognize this is an area for improvement to make them better, to make them stronger and better leaders. So today it's much more in the coaching and to, you know, push people maybe a little bit further than they think they can go, stretch them and uh, make them better leaders. So much more today about uh, others around me than at the beginning of my career. I think with all of us, we're worried about uh, ourselves more. So yeah, important to develop future leaders within Freudenberg. That's just critical. That is super good reflection of yourself. Actually, one more question on that. Was there a special turning point in your life or is it just a slowly but steadily process that it just happens? I think as, as I was able to uh, fortunately be promoted into a, a management level where you no longer can do things yourself, you, you truly need a team around you to help and work together, where you, you have to make this switch from an individual contributor to leading teams. And that's a key switch to make. And uh, if you can't make it, then, then you're probably going to be a, like a technical expert type of person. But I was able to make that switch to leading teams and working with others. But it's, it's difficult. It's, it's a real challenge. It can take time. And uh, fortunately, I was able to make that change. I think there's hardly anyone who doesn't learn a lot about leadership and about themselves when working with people. Tobias, what were your most important lessons learned in your career in terms of working with people? Also kind of like what John already stated, it's like communication is key. Up and down the chain, you need to understand your, uh, your co-workers, you need to understand your, your customers and also like the, the other collaboration partners that you work together with. Also the openness for new ideas. I mean, this is something that I really can say. I mean, again, I'm out of a startup coming into a big company like Freudenberg Performance Materials. And I, I can say myself that Freudenberg Performance Materials actually fostering all those topics, open communication, op they're open for new ideas, everything like that. And it's also not only within Freudenberg Performance Materials, but within the whole Freudenberg group, right? And This is something that was really, really important for me as well. I mean, I'm, at the very beginning, I wasn't quite sure what's going to happen to me. How is it going to be? But after more than one and a half years, I can definitely say me and my dad, especially me also being now a full member of Rodenberg Performance Materials, that was the best decision. That was the greatest decision I could do. Super. Sounds like a really nice working environment to be involved in. And John, if you could give now to the 20-year-old John one piece of advice right now, what would it be? <laughs> I, I hope 20-year-old John will, will actually listen. Let's start there. So yeah, I would, I would say um, to learn more from others, uh, to, to yeah, you know, be aware of who you're working with and to learn more from them and to not think you have to do so much of it yourself. There's so much knowledge around you. And if you can recognize that early at 20 year old John, learn more from the people around you. That would be my advice. When did you figure it out that it is so important? Well, this going to a leading teams and, and going into a, a plant management role where the people around you have so much knowledge and information and they're there to help. And you really have to work with them to let them help you. You know, don't be a roadblock yourself as the manager. Let their their expertise play out, let them do their, their thing, their projects. So um, yeah, at that level of being a plant manager, I'd say you, I learned you really have to trust the people around you and learn from them and let them do their thing. They're there to help you. 
So trust, learn, and I guess also like listen to the people, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, to listen. And yeah, there's so many good ideas out there to, to listen carefully. And uh, it's not always the loudest voice that has the best idea. It could be someone who only talks once in a while, but it's very important. So listen to everybody. Actively listen. Absolutely. Great insight. I will take that with me. And now also for Tobias, what advice would 20-year-old Tobias get? Well, let me put that. I'm since currently I'm 30 years old, so that's not so far in the past. But what would I what would I tell my my 20 year old self? Probably be more confident in your abilities on what you know, and also strive to learn every day something new. Because I mean, one of the biggest assets that you can get, and everyone else as well, which is to a certain extent free of charge, is knowledge. Learning new things, getting um, wrapping your head around. Also, like maybe problems that you have out there. And again, yeah, start to, to grow your, abil like your abilities and like your whole portfolio of your abilities even more. As different as you are, you have so many similarities when it comes really down to a leadership style and understanding people and working with people and so on. It's really amazing to, to observe that. John, would you mind sharing your life motto with us? Well, I'd say what I, I mean, especially on in the work side, I really just like to make things better. So, you know, you, you take, we get so many problems and topics and challenges, and uh, there's always solutions that could take five years and be a, a perfect solution, but it's going to take a long time. I, I really just want to improve the situation and make it better. And whether it's a 10% improvement, 25% improvement, let's make things better today. What What can we do now? So to be pragmatic And to, yeah, make things better. That that's that's really my focus and, and my motto. So we uh, yeah we take what we can do today and improve the situation. Whether it's a product, our lives, our environment, let's do what we can today. That's that's what we're here for. So you would always choose first the short term solution. If if you know the long term solution is five years, but we could get a 10-15% improvement today, sure. Let's improve what we have today and keep working towards the long term. But let's take you know incremental improvements and make things better today uh, if that's possible. Super pragmatic approach. And Tobias, do you also have an inspiring life motto that accompanies you through your life? And was there maybe also an advice in your life that was formative for you? Is there something you could share? Well, let me put that. I guess I can If you, if you want to put my life motto kind of like in a nutshell, it's persistence is key. Be persistent. I mean, especially if you're if we're in a technical world with innovation, it's like you have to be persistent. You have to keep trying over and over and over again. Obviously, you're going to have challenges. You have you're going to face failures and all this kind of stuff. I mean, a lot of if you I mean, I guess it's a good ratio if you say like one out of 10 innovation products or projects is actually taken off. So there's a potential of like, nine projects that fail at the end and they never come into place i mean it's the same also if we take a look into the sales area right if you because i'm kind of like in between with my position so also in sales if you keep calling uh, customers you get a hundred maybe in a hundred calls you get 99 no's and you get one yes so this is also something that where you have to say like okay or at least that's my motivation then every no gets me to closer to the next yes so that actually keeps me on the phone and keep calling customers and try and try and try because, yeah, again, every no gets me closer to the next yes. And also, if I go back again to the innovation part and all this kind of stuff, if you're not persistent, if you don't try to innovate also, 
I mean, one good quote that I have, because I was just uh, the other day, I was just reading a book um, from the Disney CEO, Bob Eager. And he stated what somewhere in his book, I can't out of probably I don't quote him completely right right now, but he said more or less innovate or die. So this is also something that we see, especially nowadays in our society. I mean, if I take a look at smartphones, like every half year, there needs to be a new smartphone. If you don't have within half a year, a new smartphone with new features, you're out. You're not sexy enough anymore for the, for the, for the people, for the customers. And it's kind of like the same what we see right now with the automotive industry. Everything needs to be quicker. Innovation needs to be become faster. So, I mean, this is like you need to be persistent and you need to innovate to actually tackle those challenges of tomorrow and especially the speed that we have nowadays. Actually, amazing life model. So, I mean, I, I take also with me like, okay, rejection as motivation, as the fuel for future projects, for future, yes, projects. That's, that, that's what it is. Otherwise, if you, if you actually go down the valley of, 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 the, the valley of sorrow, I guess, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not going to get you anywhere. So, yeah, definitely every rejection gets you closer. The same with, the with uh, innovation, right? It's like you fail, so that's a re rejection. But instead of like being like sad about it and all this kind of stuff and just move on, right? Pushing it. Yeah. Just progress. Just try to push it forward. Just try to get, learn from it. Learn from your failures. Again, it's a failure. It's not overly a failure in my point of view. It's just like, You learn something new. You learn a way how it did not work out. Well, that opens up the next door where you might be able to think about a way how it can work at the end. I definitely can see also this entrepreneurial spirit in you. So this kind of uh, taking a no as easy as it is. No? So, and also I see that uh, John also agrees on that. So this uh, very pragmatic approach. So just take it as it is and move on. Whenever it's nice, time goes by so fast. Thank you for this time together. It's a very special story that we have reviewed here today. A startup with a great technical innovation and many customers who want this application to be involved in mass business. And that's when the startup reaches its limits in terms of scaling and looks for another opportunity to grow. And because you as Freudenberg Performance Materials were the supplier for this startup, you came into the discussion. That part of the story is actually quite understandable and logical. But how well the integration of innovation coming from a startup fits into such a global player structure and how well both sides benefit is something that makes the story really outstanding. It will also be super exciting to follow where friction enhancement materials will be used in the technical world and how the great lightweight potential can be exploited to advantage. Thank you for these exciting insights and all the best for the future. Ludmilla, thank you so much for having us today in your podcast for this opportunity to present not only uh, Freudenberg Performance Materials as an innovation leader, but also friction inserts in a little bit more detail to the customer or like to the listeners. And I do hope that we get maybe the one or the other collaboration partner now for the future of our friction inserts. Yeah, also, Ludmilla, thank you very much for this opportunity. We greatly appreciate it. Yeah, and to all your listeners that they're able to uh, to hear this story about our friction enhancement device uh, and, and learn a little bit more about Freudenberg. So thank you for this opportunity. We greatly appreciate it and best wishes going forward. There are many ways to achieve a more sustainable future. There are many companies and innovative leaders who choose and actively go very different ways. Let's just not forget one thing. No matter how different the ways are, The big goal is one and the same. See you very soon in the next episode.